The following program brought to you by Comprehensive Financial Consultants and CFCI, which is solely responsible for its content. Securities are offered through J.W. Cole Financial, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment advice offered through CFCI and J.W. Cole Advisors. J.W. Cole Financial, J.W. Cole Advisors, and CFCI are unaffiliated entities. The opinions expressed by the members of CFCI and their guests should not be construed as specific investment, legal, or tax advice. All economic and performance information is historical and not indicative of future results. Investing may involve the risk of loss of principal, and any tax advice on the show is not intended to be used by any persons for the purpose of avoiding U.S. federal or state tax. Penalties that may be imposed on such persons and each listener should seek advice from their tax advisor or legal counsel on topics that arise from the show. The representatives of CFCI and their guests are not providing legal or tax advice, and nothing should be construed as a solicitation to offer or buy securities. Now enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the big show, Your Money with David Hayes. Thank you to Dr. Douglas Hughes for sitting in last week and doing a outstanding job, as he always does, as a fill-in. I was in Scottsdale, Arizona. I visited a couple clients while I was out there. That was a lot of fun. Sunshine in 60 almost every day. And I was at the Barrett-Jackson car show and auction, whatever you want to call it. But it was fantastic and fun. And we had a great time. So I'm back in the seat. I got back on Sunday afternoon and got back to it hard on Monday morning. So we've had a great week so far, and I hope you have too. It's Thursday, right? We have the show. It's going to air, of course, at 6 o'clock on Thursday nights, Saturday mornings at 9, and always on WGCLradio.com. Or you can pick it up on your favorite place to get your podcast. I have anchored down some outstanding guests. I have um, three of them lined up. I'm going to work on a number four. I've got Ed Slot coming on, the country's IRA expert, in a couple weeks. Mary Beth Franklin, the contributing editor of Investment News, public speaker uh, all over the place, in fact. I caught her on the ski slopes when I asked her if she could be on the show. She's in early March uh, working on Tom Hegna as well, so we've just got a lot of Great, great guests coming up through the spring, so I'm excited about that. I've got someone finally helping me <clears throat> coordinate this because it's hard when you're trying to you know, do what you do every day uh, as a practitioner, and then you have to prepare for the radio show, and you have to try and locate and coordinate guests, but I do have someone helping me with that now, which is a great, great load off of my shoulders. Oh, and by the way, doing a 2025 podcast, you know, Final Drive podcast, which airs Pretty much every Monday evening, and they're short, 8, 10, 12, 15 minutes long. But I think people are enjoying them because we continue to get download after download after download. All right, real quick here. So Doug will be teaching a class at IB Tech through the Center of Lifelong Learning. It's called Retirement Planning Today. We've been teaching this course for well over a decade, I think somewhere closer to 15 years as our partnership with IB Tech has continued. It's good. It's for people that are ages about 50 to 70, which is funny that my wife received a syllabus or a brochure or whatever you want to call it in the mail. And she's like, should I go? (laughs) You can go if you want to. It's uh, over two evenings. It's two and a half hours each evening, so five hours total. And it is soup to nuts. People love it. It's on life planning, right? How do you prepare for retirement? Needs and expenses in retirement. The roadblocks and mistakes that people make. What kind of income sources will you have? What, how do you take retirement plan distributions, investments, risk management, asset protection, and also estate planning? So it's a great program, $39 to attend. You can go over to ivytech.edu 
forward slash CLL. Or just get a hold of us and we will sick you in the right direction. And you can do it online as well. It's in person and online, both available. Um, last time I think we had around 20 so attendees in the class. And the four were online and the rest were in person. So it kind of gives you a chance if you're not conveniently located to Ivy Tech, you can do the online version as well. All right, before we get to our break, we want to thank Kenny Bland Auctions. They've been with us for a long time. A good friend of mine. Actually, it looks like he started in 18 with us. So we're going on to year number four. I'm assuming you paid your bill for this, Dirk. Brought to you by Kenny Bland Auctions. They're your full service auction service. They offer the pre-planning the sale of your estate or real estate. Visit them online at KennyBlandAuctions.com. And like Law Group, give yourself and your family that peace of mind that comes with proper estate planning. Call Lance at the Like Law Group, 812-323-8300. And finally, Unrivaled Electric. They want to be your full-service electrical contractor. They specialize in generators like mine, solar arrays, veteran-owned. Call them, 812-361-3604. Find them on Facebook or just Google them or call us. We I know that happens sometimes. We're like, hey, that person you talked about on the radio, well, how can I get a hold of them? That has actually happened before. All right, so month number one is in the books. NASDAQ had its best year, best start of the year since 2001. But what happened back in 2001? We're going to take a little reflection and little we're going to relive the past and then we're going to have hot rod on to talk about what's been going on now we'll take a quick break i'll be back at your money with david hayes so off to a pretty good start Yep, the S&P has been rocking along. The NASDAQ has had the best start of the year since 2001. And I thought to myself, really? Well, the NASDAQ's off to a 11% gain in January. It was up about 2% yesterday on Wednesday after the Fed announced. So here we go. It gained 12% back in 2001. But what happened after that? Don't forget how 2001 ended up. It was down 21%. In fact, it was the first time you've ever had a big double-digit gain in January to have a double-digit loss at the end of the year. Remember, it was on the cusp of the 40% decline, almost 40% decline we saw in 2000. And then in 2002, it lost another 31%. So down 39, down 21, down another 31. Can you imagine that? Do you remember that? If you had $100,000 at the beginning of 2000, at the end of 2022, you were left with $32,700. That would not feel very good. But the math of recovery, right? You need 300% to get back to even. Now, granted, in 2003, you got back almost 50%, so a pretty good run. And after that peak in the March, so then after that peak in March of 2000, NASDAQ fell 77% before reaching a bottom on September of 2002. At that point, the index did start to recover, but it failed to reach a new high before the financial crisis in 08 that triggered another market crash. If you think about it, there, there's a lot of lessons to be learned that are buried in information. Number one, despite suffering several catastrophic crashes, the NASDAQ has recovered every time in past downturns. For instance, the NASDAQ has climbed about 790% since September of 2002. 
or about 11.4% on an annualized basis. So that even includes, you know, that big crash we had in 08. Uh, markets started to come back in 09. <clears throat> so if you had $10,000 invested it would be in 2002, it'd be worth 89 grand a day. In the next segment, we're going to be talking about timing. And if you have money right now, what do you think you should do with it? How should you put that in the market? It's impossible, obviously, to time the bottom of a market crash. So the best strategy is to invest small sums of money over a regular basis, unless you have a big bunch of money and you need to do something with it. And we're going to talk with Rod about that in a moment. Because the NASDAQ has produced, like I said, an annual return of, what, 11% or so over the last 20 years. At that pace, just $100 invested on a weekly basis would be worth over $315,000 two decades from now. Pretty good investment, rather than that 100 bucks that I just spent on my steak and a glass of wine. <laughs> That's called dollar cost averaging, baby, right? We've heard it before. But yeah, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. Now, <clears throat> the year the year we just came off of, it's always different, right? I can go back over my nearly 30 years and think about in 1994 when I first started. A friend of mine was injured in an accident. He received about $100,000 of a settlement. And this was uh, about March or so of, of 94. He brought $80,000 of it to me to invest. So I put it into a, a really well-known popular mutual fund of, the, of that time, only to turn it into about $64,000 by August. So I'm panicking like, oh my gosh, did I really want to sign up for this? But I told him what I was being told to tell him, which is stay the course. It's going to be okay. It will recover. And it did. It recovered pretty quickly. So when you think about everything that I've been through, I've been through you know, the Asian currency crisis, the Russian bond, bond defaults, the 2000 tech bubble bursting that we just went over. We've been through lots, 9-11, we've been through the Great Recession, we've been through the 2020 pandemic, and we went through what was really is an incredible year of Fed involvement and unwinding balance sheets and increasing interest rates and the fastest ever in his the history of, of time has interest rates raised so quickly. And now you have the Fed you know, kind of starting to signal that they may reverse course at some time down the road. And it won't, probably won't happen any time, like, really, really soon. But potentially, you know, maybe in the next year, we'll start to see that happen. So we'll see. But I know where we are today. We're going to get right on the phone and give a little commentary on what the Fed spoke. What did they say? What, what happened in the markets? What do we think is going to happen over the next three to four, five, six months? And then where do we go from there? And then we'll get into what do you do with money that you have? Should you put it in the market, dump it all in over a period of time? What's the strategy there? All right, we're going to come back and talk about that and a lot more. It's Your Money with David Hayes. Welcome back, everyone. It's Your Money with David Hayes. We've got Rod Holloway on the phone. Rod, um, i got a couple things I want to say first, and we're going to have you chime in. Let's first go back to last week. Stocks added to their early 2023 20, gains amid a busy stream of mixed corporate earning results and conflicting economic data. With the backdrop of earnings reports and conflicting economic data, stocks went higher on the cooling, and I'm using air quotes if you can't see me, <laughs> cooling inflation, 
continued economic resilience, and fourth-quarter corporate earning results that, while underwhelming, didn't appear as bad as many had feared. There was enough new economic data to support both the recession is coming and the soft landing camps. It was corporate results and continued decent market strength, labor market strength, along with solid, if not weakening, fourth-quarter GDP. But that raised hopes that a potential recession may be mild and likely push out later in the year. And on that GDP report, the U.S. economy, they say, expanded 2.9% in the fourth quarter, slightly over the estimates of 2.8, but down from the third quarter, 3.2. Consumer spending, which accounts for over two-thirds of GDP, rose 2.1%. Increases privately inventory investment, government spending, and non-residential fixed investment also contributed to the fourth quarter growth. Now, we had weakness in housing, no big surprise, and a drop in exports that gets subtracted out of the quarterly results. But beneath that headline number, personal consumption expenditure price index, which is what the Fed likes to look at, rose 3.2%. That was lower than the third quarter, 4.8, though it still remains higher than that 2% inflation target. So hot rod, the Fed met. They did what we expected them to do. They raised short-term interest rates by a quarter of a point into that new range of 4.5 to 4.75. We can now, as they said, for the first time, that dis, I love that word, disinflationary process has started. Fed said the ongoing increases in interest rates will likely, which I, I like to say they pick on words like likely, be appropriate likely be appropriate to obtain monetary policy stance that is sufficiently restrictive. The Fed also noted in determining what the extent of future rate hikes would be instead of the pace, the central bank will take into account, and you and I talked about this, I believe, yesterday, the lagging in monetary policy and the impact on inflation, the economy, and the markets. And it was a unanimous. All 12 members of the Fed said yes. And, Rod, the market seemed to like what they heard. Well, I think they liked one word, disinflation. <laughs> yeah. The reality is there was or likely. in his statement. <laughs> yeah, there was nothing else in his statement that changed from expectations that he delivered on his last statement. Yeah. He still said that they foresee two more rate hikes. Guess what? Two more 25 basis point rate hikes takes us where? 5%. What has the Fed been telling us for a long time? We're going to 5% at a bare minimum. That's exactly where they're headed. Now, there's a couple of disconnects between the market, the way the market's reacting in the Fed, and the macro outlook for the economy and the fundamentals within companies. So first, let's look at the disconnect between the Fed and the market. So right now, federal funds rate is projected by the Fed to be a little over 5%. I think it was like 5.13% at the end of this year. The market projection for federal funds rate for the end of this year is 4.4%. So they're saying the Fed is going to decrease rates this year. And Chairman Powell said definitively yesterday, they don't see any way possible that they will be cutting rates in 2023. Now, we all know they're data dependent. And if the data gets ugly enough, that could most certainly change. So Here we said at the beginning of February doesn't automatically mean because they say they don't foresee it happening, that it never would happen. But that's a huge gap between what the market thinks federal funds rate will be at the end of this year and what the Fed thinks rates will be. A a, a big difference in how that impacts the overall economy. And then the second disconnect that I have 
is the market has really been driven by set speak and technicals. Yep. And look, we cannot argue the technicals and the positive signs within the technicals of the major uh, indices we see. We have broken through multiple layers of resistance. We have closed above those layers of resistance. We have had increasing volume here in the last couple of days. These are all positive signs of a potential breakout when you see that type of technical activity. Um, those layers of resistance or previous resistance tend to become areas of support once you get above them and you close above them and stay above them for a few days. So all of that technically tells you that, oh, yeah, we may be on the beginning of, of a new bull market starting. The macro side of it that doesn't add up is part of what I've been talking about on Glass's show for a while. So with the most recent rally, our forward-looking price-to-earnings multiple sets at 18.07. The last five-year average is 18.75. Yeah, with interest rates near zero, right? Right. And the 15-year average is 15.78. And, yes, I would argue as we move forward, the data and and the environment we're in will look far more like 15 years than the past five years that has zero interest rates and no inflation. So to think that the market is willing to continue to pay a higher earnings multiple – that they were paying with zero interest rates and no inflation just on the surface doesn't make a lot of sense. But as you and I have discussed many times, the market will take off before problems are resolved. And 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 historically, you don't get two negative years back to back. It's happened four times that you actually did get it back to back. So it's highly rare for that to happen. Then you throw on top of it a double-digit gain in the market in the first month of the year, which was the NASDAQ, not the S&P 500, but the NASDAQ, which was also the most beaten up in 2022. Historically, when you have seen that, every circumstance but once, that year finished positive. Now, that one time, I think you may have even already talked about it or had plans to talk about it on the show. That was, of course, the tech bubble in 01 and and you had four 10% rallies in 2001, but the year actually ended up negative 37% on that. So I'm still a little bit leery that this is a head fake. But each day that goes by and the technical indicators continue to look better and better and the volume continues to grow, which typically growing volume, not only does it mean conviction in the trade, it typically means institutional dollars. And institutional dollars can tend to be a little more sticky, especially dollars flowing through 401ks and into mutual funds, because normally their objectives are to invest that money and they can only build or hold minimal cash if they're a growth-oriented fund. Yeah, well, you know, I talked about that. It's hard to fight the flows, but, you know, over periods of time. But, you know, you do have these these markets that kind of drop like a, uh, you know, crazy fast, and then sometimes they take forever to climb back. But, yeah, it doesn't make sense fundamentally, but, you like you said, there's two sides of the fence. And then we see the S&P really taking off because of the tech-heavy nature of the S&P. Remember, it's a cap-weighted index. The Dow... Kind of, kind of slipping back a little bit here in the early stages. So people need to remain balanced. Uh, it's good to have some growth. It's good to have some uh, dividend payers. And the S&P kind of makes up a basket of all of that. But remember, it is very cap-weighted. So when those big six go or what is it, Rod, like the top 12 companies, when they go in the wrong direction, the S&P normally follows. So 
Right. Let's yeah. take a quick – go ahead. To your point that you're making there real quick, just from the Dow Jones, it was the best performer last year. Now, of course, it was still negative, but it was negative the least amount. Hard to call negative best, but <laughs> in comparison. And then year-to-date through yesterday's close, S&P up 73 the Dow only up 2.85, and the NASDAQ up almost 13% in two, well, a month and one day because it doesn't include today's rally, which the NASDAQ is up fairly large again today. Wow, crazy. Let's take a break, Rod, when we come back. We have new money. The question is, do I just jump in or do I sort of listen to what Rod's saying and saying, hey, we may have another pullback. I might be able to time a little bit better. Should I put a little bit in over time? And I'm going to reminisce with you, Rod, a little bit of that uh, January and February and March of 2020. We'll be right back, everyone. It's Your Money with David Hayes. One more thing I'll mention from the last segment is that, you know, the, the Fed, like you said, Rod, in previous you know conversations we've had about this, that they really needed unemployment to pick up so that people would stop spending so much that would slow down inflation. That was one of the factors in all this. But jobless claims the um, actually went down, it sounded like, a little bit on, on this Thursday. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it, if this thing does land softly, and I think the Fed's doing as good a job as they possibly can, this will be probably one of the first times in my career that it's ever <laughs> ever done a soft landing. Oh, geez. All right. Here we go, Rod. I, you know, a lot of people retiring right here at the end of the year, the first of the year. They have these 401k rollovers coming in, uh, pension distributions coming in. And it's like, okay, what do I need to do with this money? Do I just go ahead and just dump it all back in? But with Rod just telling us that the NASDAQ's up, you know, double digits, the S&P's up 7 or 8%. Um, so I get kind of wait. Should I sort of put a little bit in now and maybe just see what happens? Well, I remember this happening to Rod for us in January of 2020, right? The markets were at all time highs, new money coming in the door. And we made a, 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 uh, decision. I particularly remember one gentleman who had like $2 million, if I remember right. And we said, you know what, let's just kind of average this in over the next six months. So we put, you know, one sixth in in January we put one sixth in February, and then here we get head into March, and March was down. What? What was March? What was it down? Thirty-five percent or something like that in 2020. And yeah, I don't remember the exact number, but it was an ugly month. Yeah, and I, we, you and I looked at each other, and, and I called called the guy, and I said, "Hey, we're going to push it all in. It may not be the right th- thing to do, but we cert- we, and there could be more carnage ahead of us. But let's just do it, and we did it, and of course, it was the right." call to make because then we had that all snap back and we looked like geniuses but there there is a couple schools of thought there i mean you know do you do you average it in do you just put it all in or does it really matter in the long run you know 10 years from now that we um you know we hear it all the time if you miss out on this or if you miss out on that you you miss out on these returns or you avoid these returns so it is a little bit of a quandary that i think uh, people people go through when they have cash in their hands, and now it's a matter of how do I actually redeploy that into the different into the different investments. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I think you know what we just talked about with this performance. I know we've had some clients who have talked about I want to stop my dollar cost averaging in last year until I feel better about the market. Well, this moved so quickly. I don't think we've received one phone call from any of those people that. 
stopped it to say, ooh, I now feel better, and guess what? Now you've already missed out on a big run-up. But more specifically to the point that you're making, I, I think there are a couple of ways you look at it. So first of all, what, what is your investment equity strategy? And what I mean by that, if you're more dividend-oriented and that's the type of portfolio you're going in, well, those aren't the types of stocks that have run this year. Those stocks did fairly well last year. Once again, we're talking about down less than the other stocks. Um, some of them actually were positive, especially when you look at some of the cash flow generated portfolios that they had, uh, a computer algorithm scanning for, for strong cash flow uh, companies. Some of those were, were positive last year. So if that's the types of stocks you're looking at, then yeah, you can put those in because those would be a little more reflective of what you see in the Dow Jones, which isn't extremely positive so far year to day. If you're going in much more growth oriented, then yeah, you may want a dollar cost average, but then I think you have to assess what's long term and long term is different to everybody. So let me say this, if long term in this circumstance is really long term, greater than 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, this is long term money I'm not touching until I get into retirement and it's way, way off into the future then, yeah, trying to time a pullback and getting in, if you actually go and analyze and do the numbers, you probably didn't add a whole lot of performance to that portfolio over a 15, 20, 25-year time horizon. If your time horizon is something shorter than that in under 10 years and you're still looking at being in the growth-oriented side of things, yeah, you may want a dollar-cost average in. But I'd say, you know, hey, get a chunk of it in now. Um, while the thing continues to move, and then just slowly monitor it each month, kind of like you alluded to, the story of back in 2000, because if you suddenly get a big whoosh down, rather than get greedy and think that you can actually time the exact bottom and know that that isn't the bottom, then you may get a little more aggressive with that dollar cost averaging. But, you know, unfortunately, there isn't just a simple one answer fits all for everybody in this circumstance. It really is dependent on what the objectives are, what the time horizon is, and not, not, not only that, but not just purely I'm going into equities, but what type of equities am I buying? Am I buying more tech-oriented, higher growth stuff? Am I buying more blended growth and value? Or am I going to tilt heavily towards dividend? Because they have not all had the exact same performance. Some have way outperformed. Some have lagged. Some have kind of just stayed with the market. So I think all of those things need to be analyzed to really come to the best conclusion for each individual person. Yeah, and even on the bond side, I remember when new money came in and we were going to allocate it to bonds, we're like, uh, you know, we're sitting here staring at, this is in twenty. This is this past year in 2022, uh, we're staring at a pretty definite situation here where rates are going to rise. So we don't want to stick money into bonds that we know will more than likely lose money. So we went into those buffered ETFs where we had the 5% downside and then 25% protection and then a cap and it was tied to the S&P or whatever. And um, so, yeah, so those were all down about 5% a year later because that's the way the structure was built. And I just had a conversation with uh, with one of our folks about that. And he's like, oh, man, I'm down 5%. I thought that was my my bond money. I go, yeah, you're lucky. We're lucky you're not down 14%, right? Because that's what the bond market was down last year. And now it's kind of like, do you, do you just stick with that strategy or do you kind of roll with uh, with some other things? And I'm like, hey, yeah, we kind of pick up some good stuff here on the short end and we'll keep that, that long stuff in those in those buffered annuities. I will say this too. If, you ha- if you're if you in a 401k, let's say you were, you were 
you know, 80% stocks and 20% bonds, and you rolled it over, and it took five days to get there, um, you know, just go ahead and put it in. I mean, you were already in stocks, right? So probably just go ahead and put it in, unless you had something crazy happen, like, you know, you, you I don't know, there, if something wild happened where you could say, wow, I happened to have timed that good on the rollout, maybe I should start to ease this back in over time. But like Rod said, if it's really long-term money, and if it's in, if it's in the stock market, it should be long-term money. I don't know if it's going to make a big difference down the road. Any final thoughts on that, Rob, before I let you go? Yeah, I mean, I mean especially, well, the biggest thing is that I think people have to make sure they're keeping score with the appropriate counter, meaning you don't score how well you did by fully investing right now your rollover six months out, nine months out, one year out. So if you decide, I'm going all in, I've listened to what they've said, I'm going all in, and then we have a big correction here in the next few months, well, that doesn't mean you made a bad decision because, once again, it was long-term money, and it was going to be difficult for you to potentially predict when that was coming. Where you want to score yourself is five years, 10 years, 20 years, how did your performance look then? Obviously, if you woefully underperformed the market and you own quality stocks, yeah, maybe you can say, gosh, I should have dollar cost average. But I bet that you're going to be a lot closer to matching what the industry does over that long period of a time than, than, than what maybe you're fearful of in the short run. And I think that's part of the problem, that, that we get caught up in short-run biases, even mm-hmm. though what our, our objective is, is long-term. Right, right. Well, we'll let you go, Rod. I know um, my prediction here over the next week will be this, that the Fed spoke, Powell spoke, and then now we have 12 or 11 other members that will start yapping. And uh, as they do, they'll continue to support the same message that that Powell had, and the market will probably adjust a little bit here in the next week or two. So once again, folks, just uh, take it for what it is. Rod, we'll let you go, and uh, we'll hear you on Glass in the Afternoon on Big Show Friday. Sounds good, Dave. Have a great show. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more on the sweeping changes that have occurred in the retirement planning space as part of that Secure Act 2. Just got a little clarification on a couple of things I thought I might share. I'll be right back. It's Your Money with David Hayes. Happy February to everyone. Boy, it was tough being in Scottsdale last week with the sunshine that was that was not the tough part the easy part was leaving the hard part was coming back (laughs) it was beautiful out there and uh is i understand why why my folks move out there i went out there on a tuesday went from the airport directly to a client's home and spent about an hour and a half with her there um catching up and kind of you know going through a lot of different things of life and money and all that and then the next morning had breakfast with another client out there that was fun we spent a a good hour hour and a half together and talking and just kind of catching up on things and then i got checked in or moved to where i was going to be staying for the rest of the week and uh went to bear jackson if you've never been you need to go it's a lot of fun and uh spend as much time there as you possibly can yeah there's just so much to do it's a good time and it's a great time of year to get the heck out of here as well right so now that I am an empty nester, as many of you know, my son is now 22. When I started this program, he was, how old was he? 2000, he was born in 2000, so he was basically one. 
or two, something like that, just maybe just turned two. And uh, so that puts me 20 years on the air. And I always, uh, it's kind of like how I gauge time, like when things happened. I used to buy Indiana Basketball National Champions. Well, that was right around 87, right? That was right around 81. But you have to put new references in place since we haven't had a championship since that time. So it's my son's age, so 20 years. Anyway, a lot of fun. All right, a couple quick things. Um, so, of course, Secure Act 2, Ed Slot's going to be on in a couple weeks, and he's always a great entertainer and information supplier. And I know we went through this on the show, or I did on the podcast. I always forget which one is which. But I talked about things that went into effect this year, things that go into effect next year, things that go into effect in 2025, and then in 2026, and then 2027, and then all the way out to 2033. It was interesting because required distributions, as an example, are now 73, unless you're 72. Um, so get confused on that, right? So 73. Well, I, our computer system that we use, it's a very elaborate planning software. Um, it's not been updated yet to reflect these new rules. So I think there's just a lot of things that are going to take time to catch up. The one thing I was super excited about, um, we're talking about the qualified charitable distributions. If you're 70 and a half, you can give money directly to the charity out of your IRA. It's not taxable to you. Um, and when you get to age 73, it goes towards your required distributions. Well, that's being increased with inflation as well. So you can give up to $100,000 away each year if you'd want from an IRA after 70 and a half. But the cool thing is, at least the custodian that we use primarily, now reports the QCDs as QCDs. In the past, you had to let your tax person know you did it. So let's say you had a $10,000 or $20,000 distribution. $10,000 went to charity. ten went into your pocket. Well, unless you told your tax person or you remember, to, if you do it yourself, to put it in as a charitable contribution, then you'd end up paying tax on money you shouldn't have paid on. So for years, we've sent out what we called it our qualified charitable distribution letters each uh, January. And lo and behold, we printed a 1099R off this week, and there they all were. So we were grateful for that and pleasantly surprised because that is a lot, a lot of work. All right, let's talk about the one thing that I thought uh, made, uh, it actually affects tons of people, right? So all of us who have kids, um, who had hoped that they go to college or, you know, something that we started these 529 college savings plans. I did it for Will when he was one, right? And we would put that $5,000 a year in each year. We would get that $1,000 tax credit from the state, which I loved, and it would all grow tax deferred. And then when it's used for education, it's tax free, right? But then you, things change, Kids get scholarships. Kids don't go to college. Kids, whatever. I mean, a lot of things change. And then you're sit, sitting here with this 529 plan with money still in it at the end. You're like, what to do with it? So our answer in the past was, well, just hang on to it. And you can always transfer it to a grandchild. Or you can maybe give some of it away to someone. Well, we've done that before. There's been some hardship situations where, you know, a, a, a boy lost his father and me and some of my friends uh, transferred from our kids 529 to his 529 plan. You can do that. Um, but now, or you can just take it out, pay the tax, recapture all the credits on that money, and move on, right? I've always joked that I'm using my sons to buy a new bass boat, which I've already bought the new bass boat. So that joke has to kind of expire, I guess, now. But nonetheless, there is now a safety valve, and that was that if you have money left over, that you could roll up to $35,000 into a Roth IRA 
to the beneficiary. So I could take $35,000 and roll it into a Roth IRA for my son. Now, he has to have had a Roth for it to come into. How does he get a Roth? He has to have earned income. So even if he earned 100 bucks, he could put $100 in the Roth IRA to open it, and then you could roll the $35,000 over. Now, my question to Ed's office, because I emailed this the other day, is what if I want to change the beneficiary, like to me? Like, what, I just want to change it back to myself. Well, two things. Number one, this does not take effect until next year, 2024. Two, the 529 plan must have been opened for 15 years, which his has been, right? And I'm thinking they're probably not, they're probably going to fix that. So when the Secure Act 2 comes out, just like anything else, there's a lot of crap in there, right? And, and you, some stuff you're just like, wait a second, I've got a question about this, a question about that. So you'll start to get some clarification on some things. My guess is they'll probably catch that and say, no, it has to go to the beneficiary that's been there for 15 years. So be a little bit careful, I would say, this year. If you're one of those that have like multiple kids and you're trying to shift them, the beneficiaries around, like, oh, we're going to make, you know, Alice the beneficiary this year. Are any kids named Alice anymore? Let's use Megan. <laughs> we're going to move to Megan's and we're going to move it to Olivia, uh, whatever. You might be careful because if it ends up coming back to say it has to be 15 years with that beneficiary, then you might have done something to kind of mess that opportunity up for that one time. So it's not a one-time, it's a lifetime, 35000 lifetime limit for Roth contributions. All right, you could also use it for contributions as well and rollover. So it's just a pretty flexible thing right there. All right, let me check my time here really quick before I stop and take the final break of the day. Yep, it's about that time. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I just have one more thing I want to talk about when it comes to retirement accounts. This is Your Money with David Hayes. Welcome back, everyone. Sure, Money with David Hayes. Just a few minutes left in the program. Hope you've enjoyed the program today. Hope you enjoy all of them at some level. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. Sometimes it's boring, sometimes it's funny. But anyway, here I am, 20 years in the making. So grateful to be here, grateful for the opportunity for the station to continue to allow me to hang out on these Thursdays. And then, of course, if you missed the show, Saturday morning at 9 a.m., always on WGCLradio.com and also where you pick up your favorite podcast. All right, I just had a question come up uh, today, in fact. They were, they were like, how does this person put money into this Roth IRA when they don't work? I'm like, well, the husband works. The husband works, so in 2023, they, this spouse, as a non-working spouse, can put $7,500 into a Roth. Then the question was, or into an IRA. Then the question was, but, but how, do, why? I'm like, well, they can put money into... They can't put money into a Roth. They make too much money, uh, but they can put it into the IRA. But it's not deductible, right? Because he, it's just not deductible. So it creates a non-deductible IRA. Well, why would you do that? The gains will be tax-deferred, but it creates a basis in your IRA. So when you start to take money out, the basis comes out pro rata as part of your other monies. So as an example, if I, if I had a $10,000 basis in my IRA and I had a hundred thousand dollar distribution then ten thousand and, and that was my entire IRA ten thousand would be non-taxable and the other 90 would be taxable so there's reasons for things like that but if that's in your situation and makes sense for you to do it 
it makes sense uh, to have a conversation about it. All right, where is my outline here? I've lost it now. Uh, let's just, well, I have lost it. Okay, here we go. Eh, that's, that's last week's outline. Eh, who cares? All right, so let's just remind you of the class at Ivy Tech, the Center for Lifelong Learning. I will be doing a class called Taxes in Retirement. And it's going to be a little bit of a hybrid because we've actually hired a company to help us promote and market the class for Ivy Tech. So it's going to be at Ivy Tech, but it's technically not going to be under the Center for Lifelong Learning. It's kind of a hybrid thing that we're working on. And it's really just a trial thing, but please, if you see an ad on Facebook or in it or whatever, and it's taxes in retirement, that is me, and I will be there. And I'll spend a good hour and a half or hour and 40 minutes with you going through all of the program on why it's so important for you to pay attention to the stuff that I talk about all the time. But I get into really some major detail, and we give you the, the tools, the techniques, uh, the tricks, the tactics, tips and tactics on how to do this. And then also we will be covering a bunch on the SECURE Act. So just things that people need to understand and do so they don't mess up. All right, what else is going on? You know, when you talk about those RMDs, if you haven't had a chance uh, to listen to 2025, the Final Drive podcast, you might check it out. Um, the descriptions, I'm working on those. I was really, I, re I actually let someone else write the descriptions. I didn't even pay attention to what they said. And then I realized that some of the descriptions just weren't even close to right. So I don't think if I went on looking for a particular topic as a person that doesn't, didn't do the program himself, I might be a little confused. So they are printing off all of the descriptions from number one through number 43. Now, I will say this, the last two, I've had my hands on those, so they're fine. But the previous 41 or so might need a little tweaking. So if you get on there and you're looking around for a particular topic, I just think the one on why age 75, why age 75 on a required minimum distribution, and why does it take effective not until 2033? To me, that might be one of the best ones that I recorded. So if you get a chance, listen to that, and it just should motivate the heck out of you. Or the multi-generational Roth conversion, where a person, I, I go through the math on doing a Roth conversion now, and then someone passes away, their spouse inherits it as their own IRA, they then pass away, their kids get it, the kids don't have to touch it for 10 more years, and how this one Roth conversion, like now, paying just a little bit in tax, turned into a multi-million dollar Roth IRA that was distributed completely tax-free. It's That's also a very good one. So if you get a chance to listen to that one, but you know what? Just start in the beginning. If you haven't listened to them all, just start with number one. It's the longest one. Uh, if you've read my book, which I hope you have, 2025, The Final Drive, What You Need to Know to Win, I would probably, you could skip uh, probably the first five because we pretty much cover the materials in the book, and then we hit the ground running with the new content. So that's about it, everyone. I'll be back next week. Um, I don't remember if Ed's on next week or the week after next, but he's coming up soon. Mary Beth Franklin soon. Tom Hegner soon. All kinds of great guests coming. And I'll be out of town a few times this spring. And if I am, Dr. Hughes will be hot in the seat, or I'll pre-record a show uh, for you as well. All right, have a great weekend, everyone. Indiana, please do your best. Rebound. Fight hard, shoot the ball well, play good defense, and beat Purdue. Have a good one, everyone. Bye-bye.
The preceding program was brought to you by Comprehensive Financial Consultants and CFCI, which is solely responsible for its content. Securities are offered through J.W. Cole Financial, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment advice offered through CFCI and J.W. Cole Advisors. J.W. Cole Financial, J.W. Cole Advisors, and CFCI are unaffiliated entities.